Cobb with Murray County Public Schools and the Big Yellow School Bus. You're listening to Front Porch Radio on 101.7 WKOM in Columbia, Tennessee. Welcome to the Big Yellow School Bus, and here's your host, Jack Cobb with Murray County Public Schools. Welcome to the Big Yellow School Bus, Murray County Public Schools talk radio show and podcast on 101.7 FM WKOM. Brought to you in part by Community Partners, Caledonian Financial, and many other great organizations in the, the city of Columbia, Tennessee. We are going to have a great show today. We're going to be learning lessons of what is important in today's world, and that is history. And specifically, because February is Black History Month, I have with me a very special guest, Dr. Joe Cornelius. Dr. Joe Cornelius, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we tried to do this last year. Remember that? Yeah. I think both of us come down with something right around this time of the year. Absolutely. Um, I had severe laryngitis, and I really wanted to come because when you – asked me about it. I had enjoyed reading my dissertation after hadn't looking at it for probably over a decade and I was so excited to come and but the spirit was willing but the flesh was just <laughs> I could not get a word out. I understand that totally. Um Dr. Cornelius, if you could um, give our uh, listening audience a little history about yourself. Of, of course, you are a teacher at Withorn Middle School, correct? Absolutely. I've All right, a, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I've, I've been an educator here in Mary County for nearly 30 years. I, um, I've been, I started out at Central and then Joseph Brown Elementary and Cox Middle School, and now I'm at Withorn. And um, I've just um, had a very interesting career, and I've enjoyed the students, and just about everything I've ever done has been inspired by the students that I teach. And so, glad to be here today. And where did you say you got your degree from? Got my degree from Tennessee State University um, in biology, and then I went to East Tennessee State University, and I got um, finished up with my master's and my doctorate once again at Tennessee State. All right. And what was your calling in education? How did you decide to become an educator and and teach these wonderful students? I just, like most people, I just stumbled into education. I originally was interested in medicine, but um, when I wasn't able to pass the board exam, I came back to education, so... Yeah, education is the way to go. My, my daughter is a teacher, and I know she's so passionate and loves it so much. And, you know, you really need to have – we need to have people that are – teachers that are passionate about what they're doing. Absolutely. You know? um, so – and you were talking about your dissertation. Is that – did I said that uh-huh. right, correct? That's right. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at this dissertation, folks, and this is about a 500-page book, and it's not a little book either. It's it's um, like a, I don't know, 10 by uh, 17 or something. It's a pretty good-sized book, and what was your dissertation about? It was a labor of love. It's called The Historical Progression and Current Condition of African-American Education in Mary County from Slavery until 1998. Wow. And I tell you, I um, I, I guess I really like research. And I really enjoyed doing it. I interviewed so many of the educators, um, many of whom have passed on. I think just about everybody I interviewed has passed on since that time. And I did so much research, and I went so deeply into so many things that um, I really enjoyed doing it. And that's 
sounds strange to say, but I really did. I, yeah, because I, I don't <laughs> think a lot of people are going to say they enjoyed doing their dissertation. I absolutely um, did, yeah. And just to, just to let you know, folks, uh, Coach Mike Lau wasn't available today, so in the studio today I have with me Mr. Clayton Harris. Thanks, Clayton, for uh, backing up Mr. Lyle for me. Oh, absolutely, Jack. My pleasure. Anytime you need to chime in, come on in and get in, get in the conversation that with us. That sounds great. Thank All you. All right. So – Curious. Um, you probably know a good friend of mine, Dr. Rose McLean. Sure. She's absolutely. now retired from uh, education. Um, she was one of the first, if not the first, to integrate the schools in she was. County. Yeah, I did a story on her last year. She was the very first African-American student at McDowell Elementary absolutely. School to enter mm-hmm. after segregation. And she basically shared that story with us. She's in my book. She's in your book? I interviewed her in my book. Oh, very cool. I actually reached out to her to see if she was available, mm-hmm. and she wasn't available for today's uh, okay. show. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a phenomenal woman, and great cook, too, by the way. Um, she's made me a few pies, and wow. I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm so love these pies. Um, and she is just one of those inspiring Absolutely. people. When you le- learn her story, and when we did the story last year, just for Murray County Public Schools in our newsletter, it also was picked up by the Columbia Daily Herald. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so they went ahead and built on the story and told a little bit of the history of Dr. McLean. That's one thing that I always think is important to mention during Black History Month. Pretty much, you know, we have our standards, our go-to. Everybody knows about Dr. King, Rosa Parks, maybe um, George Washington Carver, but There's only a handful that we really know about, but there are thousands of people that have done things, who are doing things that are remarkable and have been remarkable, and it's just very important that we just notice that they were there and that they did some remarkable things as well. And and when you think about the history of Murray County and Murray County Public Schools, we have a deep history here of people, and I've got a couple of the calendars here that are um, made by the... African American um, Historical Society. Yeah, Absolutely. the African American Historical Society. Mm-hmm. Last year they did doctors and lawyers, and mm-hmm. these were prominent people of color that were in the field of being a doctor or a lawyer, and they did 12 months, um, one person per month, and it was a fantastic read if you ever had a chance to read it. I brought mine with me today for the show in case we wanted to talk about any of the people. I have a feeling mm-hmm. you probably know some of them. Absolutely. Um, in fact, our athletic director, Mr. Pointer, his brother is in this uh, calendar. His and they brother have, they is have a, a lawyer. Wonderful one that um, highlights all of the one-room schoolhouses, or many of the one-room schoolhouses. Is this the one? But um, yeah, they—it's absolutely amazing. Those calendars are coveted. Yes, they yeah. are, and, and and I will hold on to the two I have. And yeah, I will if get you turn your year's. back, they'll be missing. Yeah, <laughs> and I, when I was coming to do the show today, I thought, oh, I've got to have these. I'm yes. sure Dr. Cornelius and I can have something addition to talk to than other what, what kind of what we have scheduled here. So I, I guess my first question for you and for our listening audience is, what was education like in the segregated schools of Murray County. Absolutely. And you're talking uh, 1950s, right? Sure. Well, let's let's go all the way back. So okay. 1865, Civil War is over, and the whole country is faced with this dilemma. You've got all of these freed people who previously have pretty much just had one or two skills that they were really good at. Um, however, no formal education. And so... And immediately, 
the first thing that happened was that many African-Americans organized themselves and started teaching one another in abandoned schools, uh, um, not schools, but in abandoned um, churches, barns, buildings. They call these like um, field schools. And so pretty much they were just pop-up schools, 12 students here, 100 students here, um, and they tried their best to start to educate themselves. In 1865, around 1867, the federal government said, hey, we need to do something to help. And they started the Freedmen's Bureau. The Freedmen's Bureau started a few schools here and there. I think the first school was started um, in um, President's Island, which is near the Mississippi River there on the border in West Tennessee. And then here in Mary County, I think the first couple of schools were in Spring Hill um, for African-American students. Um, From that point, you just had sparse popping up of different one-room schoolhouses. But then the CEO of Sears and Roebuck, and we remember people that are old enough remember the Sears and Roebuck catalog and i actually remember it so if oh i remember i, I remember yeah um the but the ceo his name was julius rosenwald he started the um rosenwald schools it was really revolutionary he came up with the idea of planting seed money so basically what he would do is he would offer a community um, about two-thirds of the cost of erecting one of these one-room schoolhouses. Um, the, the local government was responsible for a percentage, and then the um, African-Americans themselves were responsible for finding the land, doing the building. And so basically, he kind of set up this situation where everybody had a little um, stake in the game. He started these, and oh, this started in around 1913. And then by 1925, there were nearly 5,000 of these Rosenwald schools all over the South. Some of these schools, some of these one-room schoolhouses are still standing in um, Mary County today. And that's why I really um, um, want to honor the um, African American Hist- Historical Society because they took pictures a lot of these ones that are still standing. Um, the one that I, that's most fond to me is Rocky Glade, which you can find off, um, off of um, James Campbell Boulevard. Um, it sits over in a little wooded area. You, I don't think you can see it from the road except um, during the wintertime when all the leaves um, have gone away. But um, many of these old schools are still standing. And I just want to say what my intention is in being here today is just to honor the ancestry of African-American educators, those one-room schoolhouses, because with so little, they did so much. Out of those one-room schoolhouses, they produced doctors, educators, people that went on to do great things in this country, in this state, in this county, in the city. Um, just with a one-room schoolhouse, usually furnished with maybe a pot stove, 
maybe a few of the old-fashioned desks that you write on on the sides, um, and that's about it. They received books that were hand-me-down, thrown away, pages missing, pages ripped out, and they used those those rudimentary things, the little bit of nothing, and they were able to produce some really great people that are still working and thriving, that put their kids through college, that have our homeowners and business owners right here in Mary County came from those one-room schoolhouses. So did I answer your question? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, I was going to circle back on that yeah. because uh-huh. one of the things that you, you, you brought to my mind was when you talked about the books and everything and how they were always wrote in and everything. And I remember Dr. McLean telling me last year that one of the things she remembered as a little girl is the books always had writing in them. Mm-hmm. And she was happened to notice that a, a friend of hers, her mom's friends, her mom did sewing and cooking and stuff had books from her school and from McDowell Mm -hmm. that were like brand new and they didn't have writing in them. They didn't have markings in them. And she said that was one of the reasons when her parents gave her the option, she said she wanted to go to McDowell. Just to see the new book. She wanted to have a book that had had, had all the pages that didn't have writing in it. It wasn't... And what this underscores is why learning about black history is so important. Because the students today, they just don't realize what a privilege it is to have a new book or to have, now we have devices. Devices, right. I've seen kids punch the device. Do you realize that with a computer, you've got the world in the palm of your hand, data that could put a man on the moon, we put a man on the moon with less data than we carry around on our, our smartphones yeah. today. I'm sitting here looking but at the two of them. the kids don't appreciate it because they don't realize that just the – and this is not – we're not talking about ancient history. Right. Um, this is not when Jesus went to school. This was just a few <laughs> years ago. These people are still alive, right. still thriving, and the kids don't realize what a privilege it is to have a book, to have a device, to have a – a building that's warm in the winter and cool in the summer, to have carpet or tile on the floor, to have a school lunch and a school breakfast, all the things that they take for granted. If we don't teach them that these things were hard fought, Mm -hmm. that people bled and died and cried and suffered and prayed just to have the things that, that they just, Throw on the floor or or throw in the corner or lose it and don't think about it. Right. It's very important that we remind students of that. Well, back to the question. Um, Absolutely. Education in segregated schools in Murray County. Now, you mentioned these one-room schools. Are these mm-hmm. with the types of schools where the young men and women are actually learning a trade? Because I believe we had a very, very strong presence of builders African-American builders that built schools and built buildings and churches and all kinds of stuff. Is is that what was taking place in these little one-room schools? These um, Partly, partly. And I, and yes, I just, and before I move on, just you talk about the builders. The McKissick family 
were um, African-American freed slaves that were known for their masonry work, that were coveted all over Tennessee for their masonry. Many of our older buildings, including the courthouse, mm-hmm. were built by people like this, like the McKissicks. Um, and yes, originally, people like Booker T. Washington, his initial idea was Yes, we need these one-room schoolhouses, these Freedmen Bureau schools, these Rosenwald schools, and we need to make sure that the students have a trade. And so that was Booker T. Washington's main emphasis and goal was to make sure they have a trade. He tells a famous story of how um, he saw a, uh, a former slave sitting on a porch. His house is falling down. The fields are overrun, and he's reading a book. And Booker T. Washington says, it doesn't make sense for you to have education if you don't have the skills to keep your farm together and your house together. Now, along comes another um, African-American male by the name of W.E.B. Du Bois. And his thing was, hey, you don't need to be working on the fields. You need to be getting the education. And the battle between these two ideas, do we want to teach skills or do we want to teach education? That kind of went on during this time. And even today, it's still a, a debate. Do you, um, do you want students coming out of school knowing as much academics as possible? Or do you want them to come out of school with a trade, with, uh, uh, to be gainfully employed? And it's still a debate. It's still something that we wrestle with. Um, and I think probably the the, the truth is somewhere between these two gentlemen, but both of them have very um, good ideas about what should education should be about. Um, you need to know things, reading, wrath, uh, math, arithmetic. you need to need all those things. Right. But you also need to have some sort of skill that's going to make you marketable in this global education that we have. Okay. On that same um, time frame, how effective were the teachers in the segregated schools um, we only have a couple minutes left before we have to go to break, but it seems to me like you had these pop-up schools and you had these little one-room places and you had these trades being taught. And and I, I will talk a little bit about the CTE that we currently mm-hmm. promote in our mm-hmm. current schools is is a great addition mm-hmm. to um, college preparing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like the CTE programs that we have available to our students nowadays. But what was um, how effective were these teachers in teaching during this period amazing that once again people that had very little education themselves um you know sixth grade seventh grade eighth grade education you might become a teacher in one of these one-room schoolhouses um but they still manage to produce some great, great work. It's all about desire, and it's all about motivation. Um, It's not so much that these teachers were, um, how do I put it? It's not that they were substandard, but they just didn't have that many opportunities. But they took the little that they had, and they multiplied it, and they maximized it. Eighth, the, you know, the older students would teach the younger students. So if you were a first grader, you might be taught by a third grader. And they help each other and they work together. And once again, um, I can speak from my own experience. 
my mother, my um, aunts, my uncles, they went to Rocky Glade, the one-room schoolhouse. And my mother became an excellent teacher. My aunts became excellent teachers, teachers that went on to teach doctors, lawyers, wow. engineers, amazing people that um, went on to college. This is some amazing stuff, Dr. Yeah. Cornelius. I'm really enjoying this. But I have to let uh, go to a break. So Absolutely. we're going to go ahead and take a break, and we'll be back after a word from our sponsors. Don't go away. Big Yellow School Bus with your host, Jack Cobb, with Murray County Public Schools will be right back after these messages from our sponsors. People often ask about the initials after mine and Monty's names. Those initials are CFP, Certified Financial Planner. As a CFP, we will do our best to help you in the attainment of your financial goals while protecting those assets with proper insurance coverage. We encourage the team approach of holistic financial planning by working alongside your CPA and attorney. This is Gay Pike with Caledonian Financial in historic downtown Columbia. Let's make a plan. Securities and investment advisory services offered through NBC Securities Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Hi, I'm Robert Rogers at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC. And I'm Michael Parks Lawrence at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC. Together, we're Mr. Bobby Parks' grandsons, and we run his dealership, and we are glad to be part of our local community. Being family-owned and operated, we invest heavily in our community. We do things like sports teams, schools, bands, you name it. We try to help everybody we can. The reason why we do this is because we all love this community. So come do business with us, your neighbors, at Parks Motor Sales in Columbia, Tennessee, right off Nashville Highway, or at ParksMotorSales.com. Hello, I'm Barbara Lincoln with Holland's Pharmacy. You may have heard our previous commercials about compression hosiery that we carry at Holland's Pharmacy. Well, we've recently expanded into a full line of knee braces, back, wrist, ankle, and other support wear. We will gladly help you get just the right fit for these items and, of course, special order items to ensure the proper fit. Come see us at Holland's Pharmacy, 1608 Hatcher Lane, or call us at 931-388-4233. 388-4233. Hi, I'm Steve, the Garbage Man. Have you been hauling your own garbage to the convenience center? Are you tired of doing it? Does your work schedule keep you from hauling it off regularly? Is your teenage son not taking it off like he promised when he got his driver's license? Do you have something better to do on Saturday? If any of these questions strike home to you, call the Garbage Man at 931-540-0919 and your problem will be solved. Hi, this is Dr. Wendy Tui from the Dr. Gill Center. Most chronic back problems are caused by compression from the disc becoming thinner and bulging as we get older. All we have to do is treat the disc by gently decompressing the spine. You may not have to rely on dangerous drugs, risky injections, and often unnecessary surgeries. If you are experiencing neck, back, hip, or leg pain, it's likely we can help you. Initial exam and x-rays, $39. Call me painfree.com or 615-551-9224. Front Porch Radio is Southern Middle Tennessee's home for the best in news, talk, and sports. Missed out on any favorite Front Porch programs? Check us out online at frontporchradiotn.com to download episodes of your favorite podcast. Listen live or listen online. Search for it on your favorite podcast app. iTunes, Spotify, Google, and Amazon Alexa. Join us on the porch, frontporchradiotn.com. This is Heidi Hedrick, senior basketball player and captain at Santa Fe Unit School. You're listening to WKOM 101.7 FM, coming at you from Columbia, Tennessee. Welcome back. 
You're listening to the Big Yellow School Bus with your host, Jack Cobb with Murray County Public Schools. Welcome back to the Big Yellow School Bus, Murray County Public Schools talk radio show and podcast on 101.7 WKOM. Visit us at thebigyellowschoolbus.com for our podcast. I am here today with Dr. Joe Cornelius, sixth grade science teacher at Whitthorn Middle School and a historian buff. And we're talking about some of the early times in Murray County um, about education and the seg- before segregation and, and just getting a real good look into the past um, with your help, uh, Dr. Cornelius. Absolutely. So, you know, I got to wonder, you, you were talking about how sometimes it was a student helping another student or it was somebody that maybe didn't have the proper education. But how did they manage to pay to keep the lights on, to, to be able to do the, to keep the doors open? You know, there, there had to be some kind of funding, wasn't there? Absolutely. And that's where a lot of these were local. A lot of these schools were family schools, but it was all locally supported. They would have maybe um, – soup days where uh, one family be, would be responsible for making soup and they would serve the kids. Um, you know, students brought their own lunches in pails, which was primarily like a potato biscuit um, might be the lunch for the day. Um, maybe one family be, would be responsible for the coal for the pot stove. Um, but they pretty much just, they were self-sustaining and they pretty much... Um, they pretty much just joined in and worked together um, to, to fund everything they needed to fund. Once again, the school, the books were hand-me-down, the furniture was hand-me-down, and so it was just a, it was just a self-sustaining machine. Sounds pretty interesting that even though there wasn't a lot of funding, everything seemed to work out. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you were talking about this one school building that's still standing. It was in Campbellsville Pike, uh, right? Campbellsville Pike, right. Not and about maybe couple miles past the golf course, mm-hmm. right? That's right. So if you're going out that way, it is wintertime now, and you happen mm-hmm. to look after a couple miles past the golf course, look mm-hmm. to your left, there's an old building sitting back there, That's right? Rocky Glade, yeah. Rocky absolutely. Glade, mm-hmm. still standing. Still and, standing. And, and, and nothing is done there anymore, is there? Not a thing. <laughs> I, actually, when I did my dissertation in 90, 1999, I actually took pictures and went inside. It, it's nothing remarkable. Right. Um, you wouldn't... Um, need to see it more than once, but it's just interesting to know that those places still exist. And that's just one of them. And and that's just one that's still standing. Yeah, Yeah. there's probably, I'd say, like I say, the Historical Society took pictures, and so it's a 12-month calendar, so there are at least 12 that are still standing here in the county. Yeah, that's a great calendar, by the way. Um, Let me ask you, how would you compare the schools before integration to the schools we have of today, I mean, obviously, we're way more advanced. We're more technology. We have more technology. Um, we have big standards now for our teachers. You know, you have to have a degree to be able to even teach now in schools. So, how would you com- make that comparison? That is such an interesting question, and I just really love to talk about it. All right. Look, for example, you talked about standards, objectives, um, and so I can actually go back to the board building, and in there's a room there. In a filing cabinet, you'll find all the old um, teacher logbooks, unless they've moved them to the archives. I don't know. I think most of that's okay. been moved to the archives. Okay. But though, when I did my dissertation, I was they put me in a room with these all of these books, and boy, I was like a hog in a hog pen. I enjoyed it so much just going through those books. I could actually see the logbook when my grandmother, 
who was born in 1913. I can see the log books of when she was in school. I can tell you every day she was there. I can tell you what her parents did for a living. I can tell you every day she missed. I can tell you what she ate for lunch, what she ate. The records are meticulous. Of course, they're, you know, decaying and falling apart at this point. But I like to read the objectives of what they wrote down compared to what we do today. Okay. We have standards and objectives that take three or four pages. This is what their standards and objectives were. It says to improve good study habits, to provide opportunities for enjoying together good pictures, songs, and books, and to stimulate natural curiosity, to encourage the development of individual ability in all areas of life, to guide children in selecting and the use of materials, and to evaluate information, to teach the child how people live, work, and learn in other countries, and to think logically, objectively, and independently. So now, nearly 100 years later, is there much difference from what we need no, it's the same. It's the same, it's the same you know, thing we yeah. need today as what you were talking about 100 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And probably need even more of what absolutely. they said 100 years ago absolutely. to be on the forefront. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah. And when you were reading that, I was like going, you didn't tell me it was from 100 years ago when you started. And I was yeah. like, okay, that sounds right. That sounds yeah. right. And then from yeah. 100 years ago. Yeah, okay. yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That was interesting. And yeah. where did you get that um, from? From one of the logbooks. From one of the um, logbooks. Books, yeah. mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Here's her daily schedule from one of the logbooks. Um, 8 to 8.10, devotion, guidance. 8.10 to 10.15, social studies and geography. 10.15 to 20, 10.25, recess. 10.25 to 12 o'clock, arithmetic. 12 to 12.45, recess again. 12.45 to 1, a rest period. 1 to 2.30, language arts, and in 2.30 to 3, art and music appreciation. So it's so interesting that, um, like, I don't think we really have much recess anymore, but they thought of recess important enough that they actually had it twice, um, um, and they had a rest period. Yeah, I found I thought that was interesting that fifteen minute yeah. rest period. I yeah. was like, okay, recess I get because yeah. I remember having recess when I was a young kid, uh-huh. and I don't remember two, but I do, do remember getting to go outside every day when the weather permitted. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that was really cool because you got to hang out on the bars or whatever the swings or whatever you wanted to do. But the, we didn't have a rest period, so let me tell you, it's needed. I have to agree a little after bit. After lunch. After lunch. Yeah, because as an adult, <laughs> I mean, I go out for lunch and I feel like, okay, nap time. Yeah, you need it. You know, you so. It. it might help us with some of our discipline if we had a little more recess, and a little more rest period. Kids were designed to move. Right. And we expect them to stay in a seat from 7.30 to 3 o'clock, especially a little boy. That's torture. That's a hard task. That's, ta- yeah. that's a hard to do. Yeah. And so one reason we have so many discipline problems is because we're actually asking, um, especially little boys, to do something that they weren't designed um, to do. Um, I like to read um, Mr. Edward Kimes, who many people know I interviewed him, and he was a former superintendent um, during that time. And this is what he wrote about the school. He said, according um, – The black teachers knew most or all of the individual families and took a complete interest in the students. 
his wife, Samuela Combs. Um, she added that the teachers had the support of the family, and if a child was a disciplinary problem in school, inevitably the parents would support the teacher. Consequently, the greatest disciplinary action was merely the threat of telling a parent. Now, in contrast today, many teachers struggle. We don't, we, when we call a parent, right. we don't often get support. No. We might get chewed out on the spot. And this, again, was time frame <laughs> about 100 years ago? Absolutely. And yes. so the, the, the parents were 100% behind the teachers yes. when there was need for disciplinary or, or help. Yeah. And it makes a big difference. Um, one of the things that I say, all this is, uh, I mean, I say it's all, it is such a blessing, parents that raise children properly. You bless the school, you bless the community, you bless the city, you bless the country when you just are a decent parent. In contrast, parents that don't do right by their kids you curse the school. Mm-hmm. You curse the community. You curse the whole country. It is so important. Being a parent has to be the next thing to godliness yeah. that this world has and, to offer. And it doesn't come with a book. And, and it doesn't and come you, with a you book. You get married. You have a, a, a daughter or a yeah. son. And you just know in your heart what needs to be done. And you just do it. And you just do what's right. And You, you take yeah, interest. You, hopefully, yeah. you care. You try. It, you know, the psychologists have a statement. They say you don't have to be the perfect parent. You just have to be a good enough parent, mm-hmm. and your kid will be all right. But when you don't take the time just to do the basic things, it's really a curse to everybody, and it's so important. And I just pat every parent on the back who does their best to do a good and do what's right by their kid. I hear that. Um, you know, I, I felt a lot of pride in raising my children because I like to be involved. Sure. And I like to know what was going on. And, you know, to me, going to the school in elementary school and spending a day there to get to know the teacher and the students and everything was really kind of cool. And, you know, I did that with both of my daughters. And as they got older, they continued to want to spend time with their dad. And I'm like, hey, that doesn't happen very often. Hey, so that was kind of cool. You did something right. Yeah, you did something and, and they're right. both very good right now, doing good now. So, um, yeah, you got to be involved. you got to care. you got to, you know, and, you know, if everybody's circumstances are different. Not every young man or every young lady in school has both parents at home. Right. So you right. got to look at every situation. There's Absolutely. always something, you know, that we got to consider when you right, these, sure. these things. Absolutely. So, interestingly enough, you're comparing the schools before integration to schools today, and there's a lot of similarities. Very much. Kids, and, are, not, the kids are the same. Yeah. People are the same. They, we're, we're the same. But it's just circumstances change. The environment changes. And we adapt and we change to, to fit in with the environment. But... Bottom line, I mean, this is the same stuff. Yeah. Johnny pulls Susie's hair. Yeah. Johnny's still pulling Susie's hair. <laughs> when, when we're dead and gone, there'll be some Johnny pulling, pulling some Susie's, Susie's hair. hair. That's, yeah. kind of <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right. So let me um, go back into some of the things about segregated schools. Um, is Was it something that... Um, and I'm trying to look for my exact question here. Was it something that 
the community helped with or was it you know was it just you're on your own or was it was there a lot of help there was there was structure to it now okay the superintendents the local school boards they would visit the schools um and when a superintendent visited a school it was a production um they would ask the students let me let me read about that All right. um so um, I interviewed um, Mr. Billy Patrick, who has passed on. So it's a wonderful man. Um, this is this is what he wrote about that. Let me see. If, um, I wanted to read the part about when the schools. Oh no, I know who I interviewed that told about that. Mr. Kinzer, who used to cut my hair, John Kinzer, and I need a haircut today. But I. Um, on East A Street here, what they used to call meat slide. He used to cut my hair there. And Mr. Kinzer, I interviewed him. Mr. Kinzer lived a few miles away from his school, and he walked to and from school in all kinds of weather. Occasionally, the school bus would pass him, and the white kids would shout obscenities at him and his siblings. Mr. Kinzer also conveyed that during that time, parents forbade their children from saying anything back to the white students for fear of retaliation. After attending Center Star, Mr. Kinzer attended Carver Smith, where Mr. Sam Jones was his principal. Although he believes only select students were encouraged to seek higher education, he also believed that it was generally accepted that all students were expected to learn a trade. Mr. Kinzer also remembers the occasional white administrator would visit the Negro schools. These events were scheduled in advance, and the colored teachers and administrators diligently prepared for their visits. The white administrators would inspect the facilities and ask the students such questions as, do you like school, and what are you learning about? And, um, and so that's, that's just kind of, they, they were watched, they were supervised, mm-hmm. and they took a lot of pride when they, these visitors came to see what they were doing. Um, they wanted them to know that, yes, we're actually teaching and learning and that things are going as they should be, um, much, much like today. Okay. Much like today. I like to compare and contrast. Um, so I was mentioning Mr. Billy Patrick. I interviewed him about his school experience. He's an African-American former um, worker at Monsanto and Stolfers, which were companies here in Mary County. And this is what he wrote. Let's see. He said, the students who lived in the country schools report um, – Mr. Um, let's see. He says, Miss Sadie Ransom Pillow was his teacher. He describes Rocky Glade in the following manner. There was one big room with a coal-burning stove, an outhouse, and two coat rooms in the back of the building. We attended school nine months out of the year from September to May. At one time, the younger children attended school only half a day, and the older students would attend the whole day. There were about 20 to 25 students. There was a blackboard, but we furnished our own paper tablets. We carried our lunch to school in syrup buckets, Usually, lunch consisted of a potato biscuit wrapped in newspaper. Now, I also interviewed Paige Chamberlain, who was a former teacher of mine. I knew Paige. Yeah, great man. And he talked about his experience at McDowell. Um, He says, let's see, this is about Whitthorn. Whitthorn was very rigid and strict. There were many teachers you were afraid of. They knew your families because they often grew up with them. Discipline was hard, involving paddlings, write-offs, standing in the corner, and losing recess. The white schools provided hot lunches, buses, new textbooks, 
brick buildings, indoor restroom facilities, decades before the black students were exposed to these conveniences. Um, and so you can just kind of see the difference between these. Both of these men. Are what about time the same frame age. was that? Um, so both of these men are the same age, um, and you're talking about in the 1940s. Okay. 1940s. Yeah, Mr. Uh, Chamberlain um, was a member of my Kiwanis Club, and I got to know him a little bit. Everybody uh, loves Mr. Chamberlain. The man loved opera, didn't he? Lee was oh a, a, a loving character, and his students, he's one of those teachers you will never forget. He had an opinion about everything. Never to be forgotten. <laughs> yes, that's very true, very true. He also enjoyed pro wrestling. Yes. Pro wrestling? Yes. Yeah, yeah. so you, you're familiar with Mr. Chamberlain. He also. actually came down and taught my second half of my senior year, uh, I had an English teacher on uh, maternity leave, uh, and so he he had just retired the year before. So he actually came in and finished out the year, and what an experience that was! Yeah. Everybody I've ever met now, I didn't have him as a teacher, <laughs> but everybody I've ever met that had him as a teacher, like you just said, uh, Doctor Cornelius, he's somebody you don't forget. Unforgettable. And Clayton obviously was not going to ever forget his experience <laughs> with um, Mr. Chamberlain. That's correct. Um, well, that's why. Uh, but just to contrast those two men, um, right? And like I say, that's one reason I had I enjoyed my dissertation so much is because I interviewed, and like I say, all these people have passed on, um, and it was just a walk down memory lane, just remembering them and listening to their stories, and um, I enjoyed every minute of it. And and, and um, back to the um, uh, Paige Chamberlain, he um, was such an integral part of the Kiwanis Club that when he spoke, it was like the – you ever heard that commercial when E.F. Hutton speaks? Hey, everybody listen. <laughs> okay, when this man's had something to say, yes, the whole room sir. got quiet because they wanted to make sure they didn't miss something. So Absolutely. I, I do miss him. He was, a, he was a great asset to the community and everything that he did. Um, we're going to have to go to break here in about, what do we got, about two minutes? All right. A couple minutes we'll have to go to break. So I wanted to touch just lastly on the before and after integration. Um, obviously, things got a whole lot better when we had segregate. We, we got rid of segregation and we were all together. And But it took time for that actually to meld together. So in the black history part of it, yes, it happened. But how long did it take? after segregation ended, before it actually got better. Yeah, so, um, you know, Brown versus Board of Education was in 1954. I think the schools in Mary County didn't actually integrate it until 1969. So it took quite a while before integration really took hold. And that was around the time frame when um, Dr. McLean. That's right, that's right. Told us about her story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it took a while between 1954, you're talking almost a decade before schools actually became integrated. Yeah, that's Um, actually 15 years um, of... Yeah, my math. I'm not a math yeah. teacher. <laughs> no, you're, you're science, and you, you love history, so we're good. Um, I find that interesting that it still took time. But even at that point, and after 1969 here in Murray County, things began, began to change, and we became to become more of one community instead of two separate communities. So, you know, we learn a lot by looking back on our history, and black well, history, just everything in history but hold your thoughts because i've got to go to break so we'll be back um with dr joe cornelius talking about black history during february black history month on the big yellow school bus 
Don't go away. Big Yellow School Bus with your host, Jack Cobb, with Murray County Public Schools will be right back after these messages from our sponsors. It's time to put a Dodge in your garage. And at Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram, you can count on us for all the muscle you need. We have a huge inventory to choose from. From the spine-tingling 2021 Dodge Charger SRT to the 2021 Dodge Challenger Superstock. You can even save time and buy online with our online shopping tool. Yep, at Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram, we're flexing our Motor City muscle. You can count on us online at ColumbiaCDJR.com. Hi, this is Terry Tillis from Tillis Jewelry. Here is what some of our customers are saying about us. Great people. The place to shop for fair prices and great craftsmanship. Beautiful vintage and custom jewelry. Thank you, Beth. That is our goal. Stop by and see for yourself. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Tillis Jewelry, downtown Columbia and Lewisburg. Owned and operated by Rick, custom designer and Terry, registered gemologist. Assuring you the best jewelry value and expert services. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the drywall that somehow isn't. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. First responders know seconds count when saving lives, and emergency response can often be delayed due to difficulty navigating rural locations, congested subdivisions, mobile home parks, and apartment complexes. The Locator 911 is a unique life-saving bulb. In normal use, a porch light. And when activated by you, a multicolored flashing beacon for first responders to help them find you in the event of an emergency. For more information, stop by your local fire department or visit thelocator911.com. Yeah, I just want to say that your show is disgusting. Two white men and a white woman attacking a black man who's a Democrat, yet you have no balance to anything that you say. You act like a bunch of Southern You are ridiculous. You're a horrible show. You're a horrible representation of Tennessee. Y'all are disgusting. You're disgusting human beings. And either balance it out with someone who has a half a clue of what they can talk about. You got a bus driver up there acting like he's better than him just because of what? I have no idea what his points are other than what Tucker Carlson told him what to say. Y'all are disgusting human beings. You need to get off the Three Dudes with a View, triggering liberals between Dollywood and Graceland, Monday through Thursday from 8 to 9 a.m., right here on WKOM 101.7 FM. Welcome back. You're listening to the Big Yellow School Bus with your host, Jack Cobb with Murray County Public Schools. Welcome back to the Big Yellow School Bus, Murray County Public Schools talk radio show and podcast on 101.7 FM. WKOM. Dr. Cornelius, wow, this has been fun. It's been interesting learning and, you know, and you're reading some of the the parts of your dissertation to us and letting us learn. This this is something you wrote in 1999, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And before the break, we were talking about some um, affluential people and we, we actually talked about somebody specific and he's not a black man, but he, he lived in the time and you actually 
interviewed him for mm-hmm. your dissertation, Mr. Mm-hmm. Page Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. So did you want to share something else about him? Yeah, you were talking about um, the integration process, and I just, Mr. Chamberlain was a teacher then, and I'd just like you to hear what he had to say about what it was like that very first day. Clayton, this ought to be good. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so Mr. Chamberlain, a white teacher during the desegregation era, described the years as followed in the following way. He says, integration was long and tortuous. Tennessee was the first Confederate state to integrate. Freedom of choice was first, and Atlas Stroh became the first black student at Central High School. Some of the white teachers were unalterably opposed to integration, but most were accepting. In fact, most teachers integrated fine. In 1968, James Caldwell, a black educator, and several black leaders challenged the legality of freedom of choice. And Chancellor Gray put Mary County under a desegregation order and closed the black schools. The first day of total integration was strange. All of the white teachers stood at the end of the hall at Central High School and watched the black children get off of the bus. I don't know what we were afraid of. Certainly there were more of us than of them. They must have been terrified. I had Vanita Moore one of the first black students at Central High School in my class. She was a good student and smart as a whip. However, hostility began when the schools became totally integrated. There was a militant feeling among some blacks and bitter, and he quotes, redneck racism. A palpable feeling of hostility could be felt in the air. Sensitive black students were volatile and there were many bad fights. Two incidents come to mind. One involved the singing of Dixie during a pep rally. It was customary that during the playing of the song, when the trumpet sounded, students were to rise. However, black students became offended by this practice and walked out of school. And then there was an incident involving a cheerleader election. During that time, the student body elected the cheerleaders, and that year several black girls went out and none were elected. Black students protested the election, violence soon erupted, and school was turned out early. So you could just—it's just interesting to hear what it was like, the tension, the fear, and then all these years later, some of those elements still exist. Yeah, yeah. Sadly, yeah. But um, and, just, and that, it's interesting that Mr. Chamberlain yeah. had that kind of recollection yeah. of the thing, and this was in 1999 when you did mm-hmm. your dissertation. Uh-huh. And you know, he's a very detailed person. Oh, yeah. so he gave you a lot of good details yeah. there, and and what was going on, right? And. and it, it, it's just amazing to think in 1969, 1970, mm-hmm. this is what was happening. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've come a long way. A long way. And, you know, our society today is much more open. It's it's much more easier to anybody have an opportunity to be whatever they want to be. But how quickly you can go backwards if yeah. you're not careful. Yeah. And that's, once again, it's the importance of black history. You don't want to repeat the past. And we have to. it's a slippery slope. So many little things that happen could take us right back to those same feelings. You know, and, and I, I wrote down, I've, I printed out some stuff here, and I wanted to go through it. I think we're about halfway through this 10-minute segment now. Um, you know, there were many famous black educators um, who've made a significant contribution to the field of education. Some of the notable ones that I did some research on were Mary McLeod but, Bethune. Mm-hmm. Bethune-Cookman um, College. Yeah, um, she started that school and just a phenomenal woman. Says so she was a pioneering educator and civil rights leader. Mary McLeod Bethune mm-hmm. founded the National Council of Negro Women and the National Association of Colored Women's Clubs. 
She also established the National Council of Negro Women and was a key advisor to Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah. Eleanor yeah. Roosevelt. You know, Lady Bird. Lady Bird? <laughs> yeah. What, they they were good friends. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. And then um, the next one on my list was Carter G. Woodson. What do you know about him? He's the one that wrote the book, um, The History of Colored People, I believe. A famous book that just must reading if you want interest in African-American history. Here's what I've got and what my research brought up for me was known as the father of black history. Mm-hmm. Carter G. Woodson was a historian and educator who founded the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. He is credited with establishing Black History Month and for his groundbreaking research on the history of black people. Absolutely, yeah. So he was a, a basically a, a trendsetter. You know, he, he did a lot oh, yeah. to help what we're experiencing, what we learn every February. Absolutely. I pride myself on knowing a little bit of history and, and trying to share the history and mm-hmm. bringing people like to teach the history because it's mm-hmm. like you don't want to repeat it, like you said Absolutely. earlier. Um, let me go through a couple other here. Um, W.E.B. Du Bois, what do you know about him? Well, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington, we talked about them earlier. They were at loggerheads. Booker T. Washington was like, we got to learn those skills. He's an intellectual. Yeah. yeah. Um, and But W.E.B. Du Bois, who actually was one of the founders of the NAACP, mm-hmm. he was saying, you've, you've got to be educated. It's education. That's the key to get out of poverty. That's the key to becoming equal. And so these two men debated each other. It was kind of like the debate between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. They were right. both good men, but they had different philosophies about how to proceed and how to go forward. Here's what I was able to come up with that I uh, documented. A sociologist, historian, and educator, W.E.B. Du Bois, was one of the most influential black intellectuals of the 20th century. He was a founding member of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP, and was a leading voice in the struggle for civil rights and equality. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other hand, you know, not on the other hand, but these two guys, they both had things that they wanted to teach people. Sure, sure. Booker T. Washington, and you were just talking about him. Mm-hmm. Here's what I come up with on my research. An educator, author, and civil rights leader, Booker T. Washington was one of the most influential black Americans of the late 19th and early 20th centuries. He founded the Tuskegee Institute, a historically black college in Alabama. Mm-hmm. and was a key. You've been there? I've been yeah. There. And was a key advisor to President Theodore Roosevelt and William Howard Taft. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So both these been very influential, but both of them had different ideas. Yeah. I you don't know? think they liked each other very much. You don't think so? <laughs> I don't think so. I think they, they fought a lot. Well, I found it very interesting when <laughs> I did my, my research on, online, and I come up with these um, five. There was also Miss Anna J. Cooper, and you said you really didn't really know her. So I'll, I'll just share that real quick. We've got yeah. about two minutes, and we'll, okay. do, we'll get you, get you get okay. to a shout-out. Anna J. Cooper, a pioneering educator, Anna J. Cooper was one of the first black women to earn a Ph.D. She was a prominent educator, scholar, and advocate for women's rights, and her work continues to inspire and inform discussions of race, gender, and education. One of the very first African-American women to get a Ph.D. Fantastic. Yeah, Yeah, pretty cool stuff. Well, we're down to a couple minutes left here, um, Dr. Cornelius, so... 
I know we've really talked a lot about some of the history of black history in Murray County, and you've shared some of uh, from your dissertation and stuff. But I, I'd like to give you an opportunity to do a shout out, and yeah. a shout out can be anything you'd like. So go ahead and give us absolutely give us your shout out I'll on the big be, L I'm raring to go with these shout. I just want to shout out the one room schoolhouses, um, and I just want to call them by name because they did so many things for so many people. And you'll some of these will sound familiar if you're local. Arrow Mines. Canaan, Campbell Station, Carver Smith, Center Star, Chapel Hill, Clark Training, College Hill, Cullioca, Dry Creek, Dry Fork, Elmore, Flint Valley, Gant, Godwin, Harlan, Hatton's Chapel, Hills Chapel, Hoover Mason, Lots Chapel, Macedonia, Mount Zion, Park Station, Perry Hill, Pisgah View, Pleasant Union, Poplar Creek, Rocky Glade, Samaritan, Spring Hill, Santa Fe, Smith Chapel, Theta, Webster, and Westbrook. And in my dissertation, I've mentioned every teacher, every superintendent, and I just want to just honor them. Well, let I'm them know out of time done. today on the Big L School <laughs> Bus. So I thank you, Dr. John, Joe Cornelius, for being on the Big L School Bus and everything you've added today for Black History Month Absolutely. in Murray County. Thank you. That's for it having. for this edition of the Big L School Bus. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for tuning in to the Big Yellow School Bus with your host, Jack Cobb, with Murray County Public Schools. Hop on the Big Yellow School Bus every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. right here on WKOM 101.7 FM. For 40 years, the Jewelers Bench has worked hard for their customers and provided the highest quality jewelry at the best price. They keep going back. Recent renovations have allowed them to expand their inventory. More high-quality jewelry, custom vintage and estate pieces, and professional jewelry and watch repairs. They also buy gold. The Jewelers Bench, still here, still great service. 808 Trotwood Avenue, Columbia. Are you thinking about a new fence? Maybe you need a pole barn. Then you should give Sands Fence Company a call. That's 931-309-1644. Will Sands has built his business based on the principles of honesty, quality, and integrity. Sands Fence Company has been in business for over 20 years, providing the community with farm, residential, and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931-309-1644. 931-309-1644. Hey, this is Derek Ransom with Ten Pin Alley, voted number one family entertainment center in Murray County. We offer 32 bowling lanes, giant arcade, laser tag, bumper cars, and a full cafe and bar menu. We also specialize in group events, kids and adult birthday parties, company parties, sports team parties, and holiday parties. We're located at 322 East James Campbell Boulevard in Columbia. Call us today at 931-381-BOWL or visit us at tenpin.com. Ten Pin Alley, it's where the good times roll. I am Jack Blackstone. And I'm Emery Blackstone. Together, we are Greenway Tech Repair. Tired of slow computers, cracked phone screens, and fancy home electronics you don't know how to use? We can help. We provide local on-site services as well as remote troubleshooting for any job, no matter how large or small, from computers and laptops to mobile devices and home electronics. We Blackstone Brothers are eager to serve our community. Find us on Facebook at Greenway Tech Repair or by phone at 931-388-2691. That's on Facebook at Greenway Tech Repair or by phone at 931-388-2691. 
Do you want your business advertising to reach more listeners? Not sure how? At Front Porch Radio, we want you to reach more listeners than ever before. Let people know what you do and where to reach you, right here on Front Porch Radio. It's fast, fun, and easy to get started growing your business today. Contact James Dickinson at 931-446-2028. That's 931-446-2028. Front Porch Radio, we can make your dreams come true. Hey, you know it's a leap year, right? No, the next leap year isn't until 2024. Nope, it's this year. I can prove it. Here, play this new instant game from the Tennessee Lottery. Uh, okay. <laughs> Woohoo! I won! See what you did there? I jumped up and down? No, that was a leap. Don't miss your chance to jump for joy this February with our newest instant games. You could win up to $5 million. The Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. And now, some big news from WINN. The new February Instant Games from the Tennessee Lottery have arrived. Now, for some bigger news, there are four new exciting games to choose from. And now, for our biggest news yet, you could win a top prize of $5 million. Make a break for fun today with February Instant Games, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. This is Jumpin' Joe Wiley, and you're listening to 101.7 WKOM Columbia.